everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. Oh my god, we're back and not dead. We're actually here. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me, as always, is my lovely and talented and slightly furry co-host, Mr. Eric Smith. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Oh my god, I can't believe we're actually doing an episode. It has been, I think, oh god, three months? Something crazy like that. Um, it has been quite some time. It has been quite some time. Life, the universe, and everything has conspired against us, but we are back, and we are going to try and do one of these a week, like we used to do way back in the day. Um but uh, we're going to have a tribute episode for you this show in the second half of the episode. Uh, we lost another master of horror, uh, and this is the second really big loss. Well, at least second really big loss in terms of directors um, that we've had this year for horror films. Um, we lost George Romero um, earlier this year, and we just lost Toby Hooper who um, we're going to be talking about uh, in the second half of the show. And if you don't know the name Toby Hooper, I feel sorry for you because you have missed some amazing horror films and just great TV work as well. Um, Toby did a lot of amazing things, um, not the least of which is, of course, everybody knows, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Poltergeist. Oh, wait. <laughs> also Poltergeist. The movie that everybody really thinks was directed for some reason by Steven Spielberg. But no, he actually directed Poltergeist. Uh, Spielberg was a producer on Poltergeist. Um, but uh, it's if, if you go and look up Toby Hooper's history, he did a number of amazing films in the 80s. Uh, he did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, of course, but not, you know, Poltergeist. We had the Fun House, just the really kind of, I always thought of his stuff as sort of dirty horror because it always felt sort of grungy, a lot of it. Um, and then he came along and did a movie called Life Force, which was a really <laughs> cool, beautifully shot uh, vampire film, Vampires from Space which is actually, I think, the name of the book. Space Vampires, was that the name of the book? It's one or, one or the other, yes. Yeah. Um, very it, sexy vampire movie. Yeah, very naked vampire movie, um, <laughs> which uh, I own on Blu-ray because Shout Factory, or actually Scream Factory, released it not too long ago, and it's a really an amazing Blu-ray, and you guys should check that out. It's just gorgeous. movies, beautiful. Um but we'll talk more about Toby Hooper, who crossed – he actually crossed genres a lot. Like with that, it was more of a, a combination of sci-fi and horror, and he did that with Poltergeist a little bit too. Poltergeist always felt sort of sci-fi-y to me. It's sort of weird. Um, but with Life Force, he did it, Invaders from Mars. Um, he just had a lot of really cool films that he, he did, and – uh, I never got the pleasure to meet the man or interview him like I did with George and like I did with Wes Craven. Um, but f everybody said Toby Hooper was just a sweetheart, just a really nice guy. And, uh, of course, he is part of that wonderful scene from Sleepwalkers where we got Stephen King, Clive Barker, Toby, and I want to say Wes Craven was in that shot, too, where they were all at the crime scene together playing different parts. Like Clive was one of the um, uh, cops from or the uh, 
I think he worked for the coroner's office or something, which of course he did. So um, we'll talk more about Toby Hooper in the second half of the episode, and we're going to try and get Horror Hound editor Nathan Hanneman on the phone to talk about him as well, um, and possibly Horror Hound Weekend if we get him on the on the on the phone. Um, it is next weekend, so he's a little bit busy, just a little. Um, but before we get into that, we have a lot to cover in Weekend Geek, um, a lot. Uh, first off, since it's been a while, uh, and we just had the finale air, and I don't know if Eric is a, gets to see this, so I'm going to ruin it for him. Game of Thrones had their sixth, I think, season finale? Seventh? Seventh. Seventh season finale. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't quite blown away like a lot of people. Um, I The more I thought about it, the more disappointed I was with the season finale of Game of Thrones. And I'll tell you why. Um, it felt really rushed and very cobbled together. And, you know, for the buildup, it really wasn't a surprise. I think everybody kind of knew already this truth of Jon Snow and who he was. So that wasn't that biggest reveal. You know, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out the love of incest in this show because there's a lot of it. Um, but I wasn't, you know, that wasn't that big of a deal to me. You know, it just felt really kind of cobbled together. Like, oh, you know, shit, we've got uh, only 12 episodes left to finish this series. Because I think the next season's only six or seven episodes too, right? And that's the last one. Mm-hmm. So it felt really rushed to me. Like they've wasted this. It feels like this season's sort of been wasted. I love the, the the episode before it. Um, the other piece uh, that I had a problem with was how much of a bitch Littlefinger was going out. Like I think they Littlefinger would not have gone out as easy as he did. The, the the Stark sisters would not have gotten him. He was too savvy a player in the game, and it just felt stupid. It felt really, really stupid. Not not because Littlefinger was one of my favorite characters, which he was, but it just felt so unlike him. Kind of like, oh, we better kill somebody. Let's do that. Let's get him. That'll work. He just was too savvy for the two sisters to take him out like they did. I, I That whole thing just felt really bad to me. It did not seem like the character. I thought it was a waste. Um, and then the whole thing with the ice dragon, which the power of natural gas, as I said on Twitter, <laughs> um, I that wasn't that much of a surprise either. We kind of, we, we knew that was coming. We knew they were going to take down the wall. And... Um, I just, I don't know. It just seems, it just was sort of like, okay, this, this happened, I guess. This, this was all going on. And the dickless wonder is going off to, uh, save his sister, sort of, I guess, after the power of no balls allowed him to take two or three kicks to the groin. And then he got mad and beat the guy up, um, Theon. So I don't know. I, it just seemed really kind of, eh. And and then the other the last thing I'll say um, that happened that felt really weird was the whole Cersei and Jaime thing and uh, Tyrion, where 
Cersei lets Tyrion live instead of having him sliced in half by the undead mountain. Um, after all the things that she, after how much she hates him, and then she turns on Jamie and acts like he is, uh, she's actually going to kill him when she needs him the most out of everybody there is supposedly in love with him. She does like this triple cross. It's just it's so bizarre. And I've talked to other people about it, and they said the reason this happened is because she's the Mad Queen and she's crazy. It just felt weird. Like I don't, I still don't know what the reasoning was to make her turn on Jamie in that way suddenly, and then uh, after seeing what's going on, um, think that they could, you know, survive this massive army of the dead. So. Game of Thrones, the the seventh season finale, I was disappointed in you greatly. Eric. Eric. I didn't see it. I, <laughs> I, I know there were dragons. There was, yeah, there's, there are dragons. There, <laughs> there are dragons, of course. Um, the other show, though, that is getting ready to actually end because they plotted it out uh, that way. This was the, the place they were heading. They knew they were going to head this way was the strain. And the episode that they just had, which I think there's maybe, I, I may be completely off on this, but I believe there is three or four. I don't know. I'm not sure how many episodes are left, but this is the final season of the strain. And, uh, holy Christ, was it good. Um, I'm going to probably butcher the name. It's called Ouroboros. Ouroboros? Ouroboros. 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 Yes, thank yeah. you. Um, so this episode just, David Bradley just kicks ass. That's all you need to know. He's amazing as Satrakian. And, uh, this episode just, you know what's coming next week. You know he's not going to be around. You knew that going in. You find out Satrakian's actually 95 years old. And he's been using the white from the master to stay alive this time, all time. Because they kind of, uh, kind of like they did in Dracula 2000, he's been keeping alive using the blood sort of of the vampire who he's after. And you have this amazing showdown with i so you had the um concentration camp survivor taking on the nazi and winning and it was beautiful and well acted and fan and just fabulous great awesome awesome episode um and i you knew this was coming you knew the end of the series was coming you knew he probably was not you know he was not gonna make it but i loved how they had the character do these great lines about, you know, you're going to see my eyes again. You'll see my face again in my, you, you know, you'll see me when you got, when you die, it won't be me, but it will be someone in my stead basically. And, and he's talking about Ephraim who is also Jewish. And it's just an awesome. See, I, I love how, what they've done with this, the, the whole concept of the, the Nazis and the vampires and how, timely and perfect it is for right now for what's going on in our country that this show just showcases it and and does it in such a way 
where you have a vampire who's using the rich and the powerful and he's using um, what he learned from the Nazis to insinuate himself into modern society and knows to use these rich people and and use these faces of uh, so-called friendship to um, as the, the the fake facade of of his you know his strain of corruption and it's so 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 good and if you aren't watching the strain I'm sorry for you because it is one of the best shows on TV Eric Eric that would be I would be one of the people you're feeling sorry for I guess ah! I, I swear to God there is only so much time in <laughs> in a day. I can't watch everything. I'm busy watching uh, Preacher. Oh, then then we can talk about Preacher too. <laughs> the greatest show on TV, Blood Drive. Too. What's that? I said we can talk about Preacher for sure. Uh, yeah, Preacher's been really great for the most part. Um, but Blood Drive is still the greatest show on television. <laughs> I think it's almost over, isn't it? Um, I I, I think. The- but at the time this episode airs, this episode of Fangirl airs, the season finale would have aired the night before. Uh, at the time we're recording this, there is one episode left. So, Preacher, I don't know how they get away with what they're doing this season at all. I, I, I'm still waiting for, like, the protests and angry marches, angry marches. to happen. Well, there, there, I already read an article uh, that... The same group that tried to get Lucifer canceled wants Preacher canceled, wants an apology from AMC. Um, and I actually went to work the day after the uh, after Humperdue was introduced. <laughs> and the first thing I said, I walked up to one of my coworkers who watches the show, and the first thing I said was, and the Emmy for the show most likely to get uh, banned by Christians goes to <laughs> no shit. Oh my god, that I I still can't believe they I, I'm I'm in awe of what they did. It was a little bit of rawhead Rex in there too with the the peen, which was I just I don't even know. I I don't know how they got away with this season. That means he likes you. That means he likes you. Likes you. I'm serious. So yeah, preacher is is insane, and I'm I am waiting for like the the confrontation. We saw a little bit of hint of it between Cassidy and his son, and I'm glad that he actually told. Oh, poor Je- puppy. I, I we don't know if the puppy's going to die. I think it might not. <laughs> but the thing that I was surprised by was. He actually finally told Jesse, even though Jesse didn't even, you know, I even think notice, he finally went off on him about, you know, you can use your powers for everything else, but not to save my own kid after everything I've done for you and, and been well, through Jesse's for you. Jesse's a dick. He is. He's a complete clueless dick, and and that's that's true. And I kind of like that the fact that in the show he's not a hero. You know, there's really no hero in the three of those, uh, in the three of them. Uh, you know, Tulip is, has her own issues going on right now. Now. 
but yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, uh, Jesse, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where they're, where this season's going to lead, because it's, it's interesting how a, how much of a slow burn it seems. Well, first of all, our face is our hero. Yeah, he's like the only one in the show that's a decent person. <laughs> And, and he's hanging out with Hitler. <laughs> they, we've seen some things that were in the comic. And there's one thing in particular that I would love to see. And I think it has to be a season finale. I don't think they can get to it at the end of this season. Which means they'd have to. If they're going to do it and they're making it a season finale, they're going to have to build up to it next season. Um, what is it? Or later. Should I give it away? Give it away. Because this is. Yeah, it seems uh, like it seems like this show. They're tweaking stuff. It is when Jesse's family shoots Tulip in the head and kills her. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh. That, that, might, that be, could happen. That could happen because they're hinting at bringing them into the the fold. Well, right. We've seen them now, ish. Um. And well, I mean, we did see them in the first season technically because they we see them kill his father. Mm-hmm. Now we've seen a little more of them. Um, and like I said, I I think it would be a great. I mean, talk about a cliffhanger. One of your main characters shot in the head and killed. Yeah, I, I, uh, and it would it would destroy both of them. It would destroy Cassidy, and it would destroy Jesse. Well, I mean, again, how much of this do I give away? Go for it. In the comics, she's brought back like ten minutes later. Yeah, if, but if you leave it on a cliffhanger, like you said, it, and and with how much we know that they both are in love with her. Well, well, I'm just saying it's not necessarily going to destroy the characters because she's brought back. But it would it would be a, it'll destroy the audience. Yeah, well, and it would just the angst level though. I like I you know how I've always said the more I love a character, the more they have to suffer. And uh, it would even if she is brought back ten minutes later, it would still be an amazing cliffhanger for them to leave on and give some great time on screen for both Joe Gilgan and. And uh, Dominic Cooper. Mm-hmm. I think it would be good. I like I, it. I, only two episodes left, so I don't know. Yeah, these stupid short seasons. It seems like this has been super short. Like, really short. But I love Hairstar. Hairstar is the man. Hairstar is absolutely my favorite character on this show. <laughs> I love it. I am not a homosexual. <laughs> he is amazing his origin episode was my favorite episode of the season he's just so much fun and um yeah i like seeing i i don't remember every little thing about the comic because i haven't read it since it came out but i love when i do get those pieces that i remember and it's like oh yeah that's directly from the comic and hair star has had a few of those moments <laughs> um, i love it I, I, he was great at, uh, when they showed, cause that was the scene they showed at Comic-Con was his origin sequence. And <laughs> we just were all 
in awe of it and in Hall H, they were in Hall H and they showed it and we were just like uh this this is the best thing ever because <laughs> it's twisted as hell it's so good um so you had uh we wanted to talk about blood drive because I know that's something that you you, you want to talk about that for sure I have I am still way behind I have actually watched four episodes and you talk about me i hey you know you know what i've 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 probably watched more tv than you have time to do but yeah i know i have to pick and choose i have to pick and choose and i have i have it recorded it's on my dvr so i didn't forget about it completely (laughs) are you proud (laughs) i have every episode so far on my dvr usually i watch something and i'll delete it uh, for some reason, I'm just keeping Blood Drive every episode um, until it comes out on Blu-ray so that if I feel like it, I can go back and visit the amazing performance of Colin Cunningham. <laughs> I'm still in awe of this man. He is fantastic as Julian Slink. <laughs> just incredible. It is good, so. The twists and turns... I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, Shakespeare, but it is 100% entertaining. <laughs> well, and the, uh, I will tell you, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about really quickly, too, um, is on Netflix. I watched Death Note. And I thought Death Note, first of all, I thought they were doing a series. They're not. It was a one a mm-hmm. one-off movie that they're probably going to make another one of the sequel, just like they did the live-action movies um, from Japan. Um, and I was very disappointed in Death Note. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it yet. Probably not. Um, surprise, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> surprise. But... but- I did read an article, it was either today or yesterday, that said the creators of Death Note liked what they did with this. I seriously don't know why they would have said that. Um, I... the, the problem I had with it was, first of all, the lead actor was so bland, playing light, that I just he, he was just as bland as he could be. The guy that played L was great. Um... I love the, um, I can never remember. I want to say it's Shea, Shea Willingham. Um, um, he, anyway, he anyway, plays the dad, the dad of Light, of who's Light, a, one of the, the, uh, the lead investigators, lead investigators on the Kira on murders. Kira um, but everything else, like Ryuk, who uh, is voiced by Willem Dafoe, eh, it was fine, you know, um, but the one thing that stood out as one of the problems I had with it was the soundtrack. Okay. Um, they randomly play like this 80s music, you know, normally good 80s music, but at, in this, it's so weird and out of place and makes no sense. Like it's not even, I guess it's supposed to be ironic or funny or something, but instead it just is like, why the hell are you playing air supply during this sequence? Air supply. You can, 
always play air supply. <laughs> no, you can't. Not in, <laughs> not in scenes like they did. And it just makes no freaking sense. There's all kinds of '80s music, and I'm sure it's supposed to be sort of you know retro or whatever. But it just, it feels just bizarre as hell. Makes absolutely no sense in the show. Um, it ends on a cliffhanger, and so it's sort of like the hell just what did i just watch so i i death note i give it a a d i just this uh this was the guys that made your next and the guest yes and and that's one thing that i i was really surprised by was uh i love the guest the guest used uh the soundtrack that it had really well and uh your next, of course, great film, but this just felt so weird and disjointed. Um, I, it just felt really, really strange. I, I did not, and I, I, like I said, I, it took, I had to go back and rewatch it actually to, to, to be sure of what I just watched. That's how bad it was to me. So I'm not. Death Note was a disappointment. What was not a disappointment was the tick. The only thing sad and I did not like about the tick was the fact that it's only six episodes. Uh, But the tick was fantastic. Uh, Running off from his. Amazing stint on season one of Preacher. You have Jackie Earl Haley as the main bad guy, the terror. He Mm. looks fantastic in this. He's funny and twisted and wrong. Um, Peter Serafinowicz is amazing. He is so lovable and such a doofus and yet just heroic and he he looks perfect in the suit and his little it just the whole thing just so good um i was very sad that it was only six episodes i was now how would you compare his performance to that of patrick warburton they're similar but I, there's something about um serafinowitz's tick that's just so sweet and he just does – I actually put this out on Twitter I, after watching the first couple of episodes. He is the perfect, um, you know, follow-up to Adam West and in terms of being that just adorable, good-hearted superhero. Like Adam West is Batman. Sarah Finowitz delivers these great lines. He's got this – accent voice that he's using for this that's this heroic you know just you know belt you know heroic voice that he uses and it just is so good and he's, you just want to hug him he's or so him <laughs> and i think um actually i think we have our first caller for our, our toby hooper tribute so i'm going to bring on our caller here we go Hello, you are on Fangirl Radio. Hello? 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 Oh. Maybe it's a ghost. I guess. Hello? Well, 
They're gone. Oh, wait. Hello? Hello, you are on Fangirl Radio. Is this Jessica? This is Jessica with Eric, and is this Robert? Yes. Hi, Robert. (laughs) We can always rely on Robert to call in to our our tribute episodes. He always does, and he's one of our favorite fans. He's a fan of Fangirl. There you go. (laughs) Of course. So um, we are, uh, we're going to go ahead and start our Toby Hooper tribute um, right now. And Robert, what, um, let's start off with this question. This is a good question uh, for the tribute is, what, what is your favorite Toby Hooper film? Of course, Massacre. <laughs> I think everybody is going to with, say that. To start with. He's had a lot of them. Oh, yeah. But that's a good starter. Well, and that's one thing that I I was saying uh, previously is when I was going through uh, all the Toby Hooper, you know, just you start thinking about all the things that he has done. Oh, my gosh, yes. And then you realize, holy crap, he... You know, we, we said this at the beginning of our, our recording, um, you know, uh, Eric brought up Poltergeist, and so many people just automatically yeah. think that Spielberg directed Poltergeist, and he did not, and, um, you know, Hooper did it, and it was such a different kind of horror film, uh, and, and so different that, you know, no other film looked like Poltergeist. When it came out. And a lot of movies have copied Poltergeist since then. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I mean, to the day. I mean, even now, they're like, oh, the, you know, there's a ghost in the house. You know? <laughs> well, you know, and a lot of them uh, copied that entire um, thing with the, you know, it. you hadn't really seen a family uh, affected totally like that, um, like was done in that film where you and where you had a little girl at risk, like that, and it it made it made it clear that no one was safe, and that was one of the you know that was one of the things he'd never seen before. And you know when it was first released, they made it look like made people think that it was a Spielberg thing. And he didn't direct it. Yeah, they really capitalized on Spielberg's popularity and made it sound. They you're right. They were trying to, yeah. And but. and it was unfair to Hooper uh, totally when they did that. They kind of sunk him down a little bit with the credits. <laughs> Yeah, they totally did, and you're and you're right about that. I'd have to say, Eric, um, what what's your choice out of of all of Hooper's films? Oh, how how do you choose? I know. I, I I actually I actually have chosen mine. So oh. <laughs> I, I'll I'll let you guess what one I'm going to say. <laughs> I I will say that the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I didn't see until after seeing many of his other films. I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 first. You I saw, saw the you, Fun House. You went backwards. 
Um, I saw uh, Poltergeist, uh, Salem's Lot, whole bunch of them before I ever actually got to the original. Um, so I think Texas Chainsaw 2 has a very special place in my heart. Uh, it, it was so different than the original, uh, even crazier, I think, than the original. Uh, it really it was. Gave us Bill Mosley, uh, <laughs> Dennis Hopper. I mean, it, it was just with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, that giant Hopper with a chainsaw. <laughs> um, and even the, just the opening sequence on the freeway. When they lop off the top of that guy's head. Oh yeah, and then you have oh, Car- yeah. and, and then you have Carolyn Williams, uh, stretch, stretch with being a complete badass, mm-hmm. and and making an iconic character with her, which was great. Um, I will say and that my favorite Toby Hooper, and I have to thank him for this, and at the same time, uh. Wish him ill <laughs> for it because it it terrorized me. Was Salem's Lot? I thought you were going to go with the Mangler. Oh God! <laughs> well, I'm less well, said you about know what? Salem's Lot, though, man. Um, that movie and Ralphie Glick at the window. <laughs> Freaking Ralphie Glick well, at the window, asking to be let in. Forever. Yeah, scratch, scratch, scratch. Let me in, Danny. Let me in. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I think a lot of people don't think about Salem's Lot. Um, and and Toby Hooper and and how the fact that he created, he managed to make vampires terrifying. Uh, uh, after not and in that year, nineteen seventy-nine, where you had Franklin Jella as Dracula, and you had all of these romantic vampires, and then you had Barlow, who was oh my gosh. who was just horrifying and and gross and old school Nosferatu, and you had James Mason. Uh, the classic actor as this um, as Strake, you know, Straker. Holy God! I mean, that whole thing was that amazing, thing. and and it was one of the first. I think it may have been the first Stephen King miniseries. Um, it was, and being a made-for-TV movie, it, it was maybe at the end of the heyday of the great horrifying made-for-TV movies. Yeah, um, back when they did those that were really good, where, you know, and that one got away with a lot. Like, that had the scene with the priest being, you know, trying to to use the power of God against this demonic entity and not winning. (laughs) I look back on it, and I'm like, you're watching this on television, and this is like they went, they got away with a lot of stuff. I and they got away with it, I think, because they didn't show blood. They didn't have I think to. The, yeah, not the gore. But yeah, they, it was scary. It was terrifying. Terrifying. You had a little boy that died. I mean, the kids died. <laughs> you know, he. It was terrifying yeah and and that was just great stuff um 
that was able to be, you know, he, he really could make creepy, creepy things. And, um, he did a lot of work on television as well. Like he, he did an episode of Freddy's nightmares. He did math. He did two great episodes of masters of horror. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, he, you know, and this was TV work and then you add that in with, with movies like we were talking about earlier invaders from Mars, where he actually crossed over into, he had that great com- combination of, of sci-fi and horror together. And, you know, Eaten Alive, where you had Robert England being terrorized by a, a giant crocodile. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it were, there was some amazing stuff that Hooper did, and he really he really did earn that moniker of a master of horror, I think, with the things that he created. Well, absolutely, and I think... Um, he was one of those directors. The original Texas Chainsaw, um, I, I don't think, is that bloody. Um, it's very violent, but it's not that gory. And I think, but I think people remember it as being incredibly gory, and that's sort of the trick that he played on everybody. Yeah, he left yeah, it to their, their imagination, and that's, and what, that's I think what I think he did with he Salem's did with Lot. Salem's Lot. Like you didn't see you you cut it cut away with with like uh, Ralphie being attacked by Barlow. You see this this figure step in front of the little boy, and you see this look of terror on the little boy's face, and that's it. Boom, it's done, and and you don't see it happen. And then when it does happen, like with him floating into the room and attacking his own brother, it's quiet. And not overt. Well, I, I wouldn't go that far with with massacre. I mean, you do see the violence. Some of it is very shocking. Obviously, it's just the the lack of blood. And there's a little, yeah, but yeah. There's not a lot. And if people, I think the same thing. It, it goes along with Halloween, the original Halloween. Not a very gory movie at all. Right. And that's a that's a tribute to those directors. Um, and yeah, uh, the original Texas Chainsaw, just an amazing well, and, and film. Yeah. And you think about it, it was done in 1974. It's older than I am. It's 43 years old <laughs> and it still packs the punch that it did back then. When people, the first time you watch it, it's like, holy Christ. How did they get away with that? You know, it was filmed in Texas. Mm-hmm. And most of the actors that were in the movie lived in Texas. You know, they got their own people in. Well, and, and, and it was it was hellish to film, I believe, because they it was hot. They didn't have... It was extremely hot. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of money. But they, was, yeah, it, there's some making the, of stuff out there that's pretty f- fabulous that you can watch to, to find out the hell that they went through to make that movie. <laughs> like the 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 scene where they were in the van, um, they had no air conditioning, and they had to film it in the van with no air conditioning. 
Oh yeah, I mean, it was probably triple triple digits, and 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 and, and without o- oxygen tanks to help you stay alive. I mean, you would. I, I, I've been in hot conditions like that. I mean, you know, living in the South in Alabama. Give me a break. <laughs> I know when it's hot, but when you're having to film in a van with no air conditioning and you're having to shoot a scene and it's like, what, 101 degrees in Texas? If you're lucky. You're in an oven. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. Um, it's crazy how what they went through with this and they and they managed to make a movie like that that just has become a classic you know and the the other one um the other one that i i was we've talked about too was funhouse which is and and it goes along with what i was i said earlier which is toby hooper did a made horror movies that i always called them the dirty horror movies just because they they were they felt grimy and it started with Texas Chainsaw, and eat, then you had Eaten Alive um, that just was sort of – oh, yeah. they just made – they just felt not not like perverted dirty, but just – they just were dirty. Like they he, – he got into these areas like um, that you wouldn't normally think the actors would go to for these movies and actually did them. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he turns around and makes a movie like – Poltergeist, which is beautiful, doesn't look like anything we've seen before. And then you have Life Force, which is another one of my favorite movies that he did, which looks completely different. Oh, yeah. And, look, and it looked completely different from anything else that he had done. So it's, it, you know, or anything we'd seen at that point. It just was so beautiful how they made and it. You know what? I, I watched all those movies growing up. And then later on in life, I found out he did that. Yeah, exactly. He did all of those. <laughs> yeah. And then you... I freaked out. I was like, the the guy that did Texas Chainsaw Massacre did those also. And you know, you you you, you live and you learn. Yeah, you you because his st- he could do different styles and and seemed to do them really well and 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 was able to like it just was neat to see like you you like you said you you don't think that this is the same guy but his his ability like he he the other one that everyone was talking about the day that he passed was the fact that he directed the Dancing with Myself video that Billy Idol did. With the zombie guys crawling up the building and everything, and he directed that, and uh, it's it's just amazing that this the work that he did. So everybody, I want to welcome to our Toby Hooper discussion right now the editor of Horror Hound Magazine and my kind of boss, my kind of boss, Mr. Nathan, Nathan Hanneman. Hello. <laughs> hey Nate. Hi. How are you? How are you? Hello, Nathan. So, uh, so uh, Nathan is joining us for our Toby Hooper discussion. And Toby, I know, was an important part of your growing up into the world of horror. Um, so can you give us some insight into what Toby Hooper meant to you, Nate? Yeah, Toby, well, like a small example, Toby Hooper is one of the few people 
I uh, I bought a ticket to go see him at a uh, convention in in Texas, which Jessica, you've known me for a long time, and you know that I wouldn't do that. Yeah, you would not do that. It, it he he would not do that, especially Texas. Um, I don't think he would specifically go that far. No, and uh, unfortunately, he canceled the day before my flight. Um, so I unfortunately uh, went my whole life without ever meeting Toby. But yeah, he was one of those filmmakers that uh, was definitely a major influence on my life. Uh, uh, as, as odd as it is, with films like uh, like Invaders from Mars had a huge impact on me growing up. Yeah, we were talking about the fact that um, before you came on that Toby Hooper managed to do films that people didn't realize he'd actually directed because they didn't look anything like Texas Chainsaw. He was able to change his style of filmmaking. Uh, for these movies, like for example, my mine that I always say is like, look at Life Force. It doesn't look like any other film that he ever made, and was so different from anything that had come out to that point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Salem's Lot's another really good example of that. Yeah, we we just had our Salem's Lot discussion where we were talking about the fact that that movie got away with so much on network TV uh, that and how creepy it was and you hadn't seen anything that creepy that really creepy for a long like ralphie glick floating and being a, a little child that had been murdered yeah i'll i'll stand by my i uh i firmly believe it's the only successful made for tv stephen king uh translation ever made i i, I agree uh. with you <laughs> The only thing that would come close would be the stand. And the stand I, was good. The stand was good. <laughs> the stand was good. Um, <laughs> so, and, and the other one that a lot of people don't mention, but I really liked, was spontaneous combustion that he did with Brad Dourif. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that that one got by me over the years. I never actually saw spontaneous combustion. Oh my God! Yeah, I rented that movie probably four times when it came back came out in 1990 and i um i remember renting that at least four times from the night uh from the video store uh but the other one that he did that was so strange was he did that bizarre he did a couple bizarre movies with robert england and the one that always (laughs) stuck out for me was that movie Night Terrors, which I didn't even realize he had directed until like a couple years after I'd watched it, where Robert England plays the Marquis de Sade and is also in drag. Yeah, he ended up, I mean, he worked with Robert going all the way back to Eaten Alive. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Eaten Alive was one of Robert England's yeah. first movies. Yeah, um, between that and, uh, was it Dead and Buried? Um. Yeah. Well, he did Masters of Horror with him too. He did Dance of the Dead. Well, I, mean, I meant like one of a, one of Robert's first early movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in the genre. Um. But uh, yeah, Eaten Eaten Alive is is probably my most enjoyable Toby Hooper film to watch. Well, and the other one um, that he did that so many people were influenced by was Funhouse, and that's one that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one that a lot of people uh, kind of 
forget about. You know, like it's not the most popular. Uh, I, I guess you ca- would you call that a slasher movie? People, People do. do. People do. People do. The, you know, one of the things that kind of um, made a realization this week, just thinking about uh, his films and all, uh, you know, his catalog, and uh, you know, what was kind of funny is Funhouse is almost like a Chainsaw Massacre movie. It's you know. It's it's almost like well, what if the Sawyer family lived in a, a, in carnival. a uh, circus? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing um, that I was I I had mentioned was I Toby Hooper did what I call dirty horror. It it wasn't in terms of profane, but it it just felt grimy, like grungy, and 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 like Funhouse was one of those movies that sort of just felt like a you know, a grungy movie, and then Texas Chainsaw well, felt like a grungy movie. But Funhouse starts off by being unsettling, by having a having a uh, a little kid, you know, trying to take a peek at his sister <laughs> while she's showering. So. It's true. Um, but yeah, I, and I I thought his just his way of of making films was neat. Like he just did so many different looks to his movies and like the last one that he he had directed was Dijin which um, is actually on I think on Netflix and it looks different from any other of his films too I mean he had just yeah. a, a weird a style that could change I, I had not yet caught the uh, Jen but uh, I, I know one of his later you know I did like what he did on Masters of Horror but uh, I, I've, I think Toolbox Murders is one of one of the rare little overlooked gems of modern uh, horror. I think it actually is better than the original, and uh, and he did so much attention. Well, and he also did uh, body bags. Yeah, he did yeah. the what was it? The hand. Yeah, he he did. Um, yeah, I think he did the hand one, and um, the the thing that I was interested in is seeing like just the the different episodes of television that he had done, like the different series. Um, he did the others. He worked on the equalizer. He directed an episode of the equalizer. <laughs> he, he really? Directed, he, yeah. He I didn't know about that one. Yeah. He directed the origin of Freddy Krueger. Yeah. He did the, um, uh, no more Mr. Nice guy. The first episode of Freddy's nightmares. Wow. Yeah. And it was just, Freddy's Nightmares. If if none of if if people out there haven't watched Freddy's Nightmares, most of it is on YouTube, I think. Um, but it's a bizarre anthology series. They're just really surrealistic episodes. And No More Mister Nice Guy was one of them, where the guy like disappears from his news anchor desk and shows up, like he teleports to. The uh, uh, Freddy Krueger trial, and it's just bizarre. It's just a weird show. But he did that. He did an episode of uh, Night Visions, which was another, I think, anthology series. Perversions of Science, another anthology series. So it's it's crazy the stuff that he did. And of course, he did an, one episode of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, there was definitely a. A, a weird part where I don't know if it was uh, I don't know if it was because he always had projects that were in production or of some sort of like uh, developmental hell that he just had to resort to doing TV for a while uh, just to fill time and get paychecks. But 
Yeah, we were. I was looking at his. Uh, I was just going through his filmography uh, after he passed away, and it, it, it is kind of a eye-opening how much TV he did in in about a decade span. Yeah, and it, we um, and Robert had brought up the fact that a lot of people he did some work that no one, you know, he did movies that people don't realize he did. Like, um, the one I always point out was Poltergeist, but if you, you just realize just all the, all the films that he did and it's kind of crazy. And it seems kind of like the fact that he seemed very soft spoken too, as a person, like uh, the interviews I'd seen and the stuff that I've heard people talk about. Um, you don't hear him, much right he was real quiet yeah he came across as one of those like kind of like Wes Craven he was a soft-spoken guy who didn't do he didn't you know he just let the work talk for him he wasn't on the Johnny Carson show (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't like you know really some some directors today not a lot of them but some of them are you know, they'll go on the talk shows and stuff. Yeah, during the era he brought up, he was he was he was uh, became very prominent too. All those directors were that phase of name brand recognition, and you know, it was yeah. Wes Craven's this and John Carpenter's that and George Romero's this, but it was never Toby Hooper's anything. Yeah, and and that's why a lot of people. But I love all those directors. still oh yeah well you know i don't i don't you know if you if you're pushing your movies out you know any way you can do it do it but yeah well he was a silent well and i think like i said that the i think that's part of the reason why so many people just assume that that spielberg directed poltergeist that it wasn't yeah. Toby Hooper. They they go what? That was a that was a Spielberg film. Well, he produced it. They all say that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I I hate that argument because you, you people who want to say that they they side with the argument as it's a standalone argument. They don't want to bring in other factors like looking at films like Goonies and Gremlins and and. Uh, you know, Spielberg yeah. had just as much input in those films. It's a producer produces. That's what they do. Michael Bay, you know, there's a point I made uh, a couple days ago with someone. Michael, Day, Michael Bay, when he produces a film, the film still looks like a Michael Bay production. You can't tell me Ninja Turtles didn't look like a damn Transformers film, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, Spielberg's out there putting his money up, making these movies. Like, you know, I think well, Back to the Future was one of his too, right? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, they they all have the same feel, the same vibe. They you know they're his productions, so of course it's going to have the same. You know, he's not going to produce something that's not going to yeah. look like something that he would make himself. Well, and the thing that with Poltergeist was uh, the fact that you'd never seen, I, I at least I couldn't think of one where you had seen an entire family at risk like that, and where the little girl was that much at risk, other than The Exorcist. You know, and and this this was a terrifying film. Like when she's in the ground, um, the when she, the mother is in the ground, and the skeletons start coming up, and it's just freaking disturbing. And you have the little boy and the clown, 
And no one can tell me that didn't scare the crap out of them. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't replicate it if they tried, and they did try, and they it, failed. Yeah, did not work. Did not work at all. Well, um, Nate, I want <laughs> I wanted to give you a chance as well to talk about Horror Hound Weekend coming up here. Um, sadly, I'm not going to be going to this one, but it sounds like it's going to be a freaking blast. So I wanted to give you some time to talk about um, the show. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> have you have you you've missed uh you've missed at least one before, right? I have missed two. This is going to be number Two? three, yeah, unfortunately. And every number time, three. every time I miss one, it's got it's always a Lost Boys one, which sucks. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I miss the other Lost Boys one that we had. Yeah, the uh, I I stupidly forgot to get anyone's autograph when we did the first Lost Boys <laughs> one. No. Now, uh, now half of them are dead. Uh, oh, that's sad. Don't bring that up. <laughs> yeah, we we had started out. Uh, this is our tenth anniversary of doing conventions, so we started out the show with the concept of doing a kind of like a best of hits kind of event. And the first thing that we you know thought of was Lost Boys. That was one of the most memorable reunions we had ever done. Paul Davis, who was a former writer, um, just finished his. Lost in the Shadows book, um, The Lost Boys, and I've been talking with him and just saw a good opportunity to do an anniversary for that event. And then uh, that's where the that's where the best of kind of stopped. <laughs> I just realized I like doing these shows because I, you know, I have to be at these shows. So I like booking the events that have people that I've never met before, people I'm excited to meet. So don't want to just fill it with, with a bunch of uh, our best, you know, favorite people um which is which would be easy to do and be fun to do but also i think we would hurt a couple people's feelings if we did that and didn't invite people well Um, it's also the 25th anniversary of lost boys isn't it 30 30 oh god oh (laughs) ow damn that that we feel old that hurt my that hurt my soul a little bit then you said 30 yeah but yeah, so it's thirtieth anniversary for Lost Boys, twentieth anniversary for Buffy, tenth tenth anniversary for Horror Home Weekend. Um wow. so yeah, we, we decided to do those two uh license, you know, licenses for uh booking uh so we got Corey Feldman and you know, that was pretty cool. So uh the kind of twist was we got uh Sean Astin and uh and ended up with a little bit of a Goonies reunion. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we have that going on uh September 8th through the 10th in Indianapolis at WorldHoundWeekend.com. And you've got got another one coming up. We're so close to it. We're so close to it that I'm almost burnt out. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't had it yet. (laughs) I know. I'm excited to get there. We got the premiere of the new Horror Hound Ale, um, which is going to be exciting. And uh, we got some cool stuff like the uh, Friday 13th Part 2 reunion, which was kind of a, a neat little thing we came up with and uh steve dash and amy Steele are actually going to be in costume uh we have custom made uh jason costume and we even have mother's uh shrine for part two with mother's head and you got the sweater too don't you yeah she'll be in the sweater so um that'll be neat nick king from sinister is going to be in uh the mr boogie or bagul costume uh, whatever people prefer and then we brought in the uh, 
two of the three killers from The Strangers. Um, the uh, the film has been getting a lot of buzz with the sequel uh, due out, I think, next year. But um, yeah, so it's it's a fun. We were just talking earlier with uh, Allison Loman from Drag Me to Hell is going to be at the show, and then we just added Feruza Balk from The Craft. I hate you for people, that. I hate you. Yeah, people really were excited about that. I was expecting it to have a good reaction, but it the reaction was ten times better than I even. I, I kind of hate you considered. a lot. <laughs> um, but you also have one. Uh, we there's going to be a horror hound weekend in November, which is a rarity and something very special about this horror hound weekend in November. Yeah, actually, uh, I don't know if you remember. We used to do November horror hound weekends all the time. Yeah, it was not. Yeah, we haven't done them. Well, this is going to be three cons in a year, though, which is some... yeah. This will be our first November show in twenty since 2012. Yeah. And our first three show event since uh, 2012. Um, but yeah, we we have been getting requests to go back to Columbus, Ohio for five years now. Um, we did Columbus out of uh, almost out of just necessity. We uh, were shifting our Indianapolis and Cincinnati dates around, and, and uh, either had to find a new city for a March show that year or uh, not do a March show. So we decided to do a little temporary Columbus show and. Man, people have been talking about it ever since. So after five years, we finally tapped out and gave in and said, okay, we'll do another one. So uh, November 3rd through the 5th in Columbus, um, we really wanted to do something special. So we came up with an, a concept called uh, Horror Hounds Haunted Holidays, which is a uh, just a kind of Christmas horror-themed event. Um, it's early in November. It's just right after Halloween. It seems a little odd that you would do Christmas that <laughs> before you get to Thanksgiving. But uh, when all the details of the show are revealed, I think it'll make a lot of sense, and I think people will get really stoked. And um, I think it'll be a really great opportunity to start Christmas early, you know. And you well, and you just announced Mick Foley is coming. Um, Foley, Mr. Mr. Christmas himself. I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't imagine not asking Mick to do the event. And then you've you're going to have Jack Skellington himself there, Chris Sarandon. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have, I think, some special other Christmas Santa, Santa specific people. Yeah, we'll have we'll have guests from Silent Night, Deadly Night, Jack Frost, Black Christmas gremlins and uh a christmas story um it's not <laughs> horror but why not we're we're, we're already doing it <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah it's just been a it's a fun thing and uh um once the tickets go on sale september 11th and uh, i think people will be of keen interest in the vip package which is going to include some really badass items like uh we're doing a, uh, a long sleeve horror hound ugly Christmas sweater shirt, uh, event tee for that event, <laughs> um, which we I had teased one years ago on a social media, and everyone's been asking for it ever since. And um, God, I, I spent close to fourteen hours working on that design. Um, it was not easy to come up with. I don't know how they uh, these companies they seem like they come up with these ideas for ugly Christmas sweaters all the time. Um, but we're also going to be doing like horror hound Christmas ornaments and Christmas stockings and uh, Christmas themed photo ops. 
That's going to be awesome. I'm I'm excited for that one. I hopefully will be able to go to that one. I'm I'm trying to <sighs> work sucks. Um <laughs> It doesn't suck. I like my job, but it's it's very busy. Um but that's part of the reason why I'm not going to be able to make it to this horror hound. I am going to be up in Portland, Oregon uh the same weekend at uh Rose City Comic Con where um I am going to have a panel on Doctor Who and that show's going to be fun. Um, it won't be Horror Hound, but it will be a fun show, and uh, you can guys can find me there if you're in Portland. Um, is Doctor Who going to be there? Doctor Who is, in fact, going to be there. Um, nice. Peter Capaldi is coming to, to Portland. He, <laughs> he, As we speak, he's actually at San Francisco Comic-Con right now. Um, cause Are you... Are you moderating his panel, or is this a different panel? It's a different panel. I've got my own entire panel that I've put together about Doctor yeah. Who. And you bring, you, uh, if you threaten them enough, I'm sure they'll let you moderate the quality panel. Yeah, too, you've right? got somebody doing all of the celebrity <laughs> panels. Trust me, I've already asked. Um, but yeah, so we'll see how well she does, and if she doesn't do that well, then maybe I can, maybe I can move in on that. <laughs> We'll see if I can move in on that action. Um, but I am going to be uh, totally going to the Q&A that's on Sunday with him. And they are actually going to have Pearl Mackey there, who played uh, Bill Potts, his companion. And uh, uh, Dominic Cooper from Preacher is going to be there. It's it's actually going to be a big Ooh. show. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, it's definitely grown. Rose City Comic Con has grown a lot, uh, but yeah, and they're gonna. Have, I think Carl Urban and Katie Sackoff. So it's nice. yeah, and Weird Al Yankovic. He can't be upset with that. No, it's gonna be a good show. But uh, Horrorhound is going to have. Um, you've already said Feruza Balk. You're gonna have Lost Boys, and I think you're having a special Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Bates Motel is gonna be in, in there. But you're having a special event on Friday night? Yeah, we're uh, we work with uh, Warner Brothers uh, Publicity here in uh, the Midwest to do a uh, Stephen King's It kind of like premiere party. I mean, we're not screening the film or anything like that. It was, but uh, yeah, we're gonna. The studio gave us you know, just, just an insane amount of promo items. I want to, the to damn away. backpack. They got. It backpacks, and I don't get one. The raincoat, that's really a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to complain in bits about it, because I wrote the article, yeah. and we can't... Get, but even Nate can't have one. They, they've made a point no. of telling Nathan that he can't have one either. You want the party uh, favors. <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, we're, we're, doing, <laughs> we're doing a costume contest that night for Best Clown, so whoever wins better better damn well... Earn it. Be, you know, in a really good clown outfit, because um, they're they're going to get an amazing. It's just basically a backpack filled with tons of it promo items and some horror hounds. God, it hurts well. me so, so much. Cool. And our new issue but, is that's the cover is if of horror hound is it a custom paint beautiful cover of uh, the new Pennywise. Yeah, it's our Halloween issue. The whole thing's just really badass and a. Uh, that's shipping right now. So, well, any day now. Yeah, it should be. It, I haven't got mine yet, so we'll. I'm over here on the West Coast, so it takes its time to get out here, but it's worth the wait for sure. Um, so, everybody, I want to thank you guys for coming on, Robert, Nate, 
Eric, thank you guys so much. Guys this so has been much. a great, a great uh, episode. episode. And, uh, and uh, uh, it was great uh, to talk great about to talk Toby Hooper and give him some props him some prop, um, for, um, what for what he did. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I want to thank you guys again for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope um, we we told you some things you might not have realized about Toby Hooper because I learned some stuff I didn't know about Toby Hooper. Um, and, you know, I it's another reminder, though, to love the you know, love them while they're here, because we've we lost George and we lost Toby this year. And oh. there's not a lot of directors left like those guys. Um, you know, there are masters of horror and there's a reason they're they're called that. And, uh, you know, I I hate to say it because I don't want to jinx anything, but the minute I heard about Toby, I was like, where's Clive? You know, mm. you know, like, where's Clive at? Where's, you know, because out of that group, you know, we've got Stephen King, but he's not a, you know, he's not a director, but you, you've got these creators, like icons, like these guys, and it hurts to lose them, especially with the loss of George and the lot having just happened yeah yeah we we used to you know we used to run a in memoriam in the magazine once uh once an issue dedicated to someone if we lost them and it seems like over the last two years instead of one name every issue of horror hound it's like five names yeah because you know we just lost angus scrim and uh it's just it's just one of those you know, Angus happened, and then you had, um, oh, man, it's just there's too many. There's even too even many. when you're not looking, it's you wake up, and there's Sonny Landham's gone, and yeah, H.G. Lewis is gone. And... Yeah. Well, you know, it's like um, when I lost my dad, when you lose these guys, and it's the same thing. It's almost the same thing. It, it hits home, and that's one thing that I, I – why I try to always you know. do one of these whenever we have a loss like this is because um, fans get it. Fellow fans understand when you lose someone that has influenced parts of your life like this, even if you never knew them personally. Like Nathan said, he never met Toby Hooper, which I'm surprised because Nate's – you know, he's – that surprises me because you've managed to meet did, most of your heroes at this point. And I, I did. I did, I got to interview him, and I I did get his autograph thanks to a friend. Um, really, but I never got to. Yeah, I never got to meet him. And I actually have the uh, Leatherface cover of Horror Hill Magazine signed by Toby. Oh, that's great. Um, but yeah, um, and to and but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like to Toby Hooper is not someone that I hadn't thought about in a while. Toby. I, you know, it's like we were, we've been talking about, um, and talking with his office about bringing him into a horror hound show. Um, he was just in Germany a couple weeks ago meeting fans. Well, know, and that, was, that's just like what happened with Wes Craven. I was literally working right up until our Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> show two days before yeah. he passed, trying to yeah, get they, him to a show. Really? They, yeah. they, didn't they email you and just basically say it's a you know unfortunately it's a pass right now and then yeah. two days later he was gone. They 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 uh, the PR people 
said that he he's going to have to sadly pass on this but thank you for he says thank you for asking and two days later he was gone so it's it's one of those wow. yeah it's one of those things where you you know make sure if you have the opportunity to say something to them or go see them if they're somewhere by and because you never know and like your mom or your dad yep or your brother or your sister Oh yeah, and that's Make sure. that's like with um, with I'll bring it up Doctor Who. It's like uh, I don't know how many chances I'm going to get to meet my favorite doctor because he's mm-hmm. in England and I am not. So <laughs> if he's here, I'm going to I take know. advantage of it. But you know Better. that's well, and that's one of the things is like I always defend fans feeling like they've lost a family member when someone passes that influenced them like that. Because, you know, I've had people attack me on social media for being sad about Wes Craven dying or being sad about George Romero dying. And you know what? You're allowed to be sad about it. You, you should be because that person helped make you who you are. And when they're gone, you've lost that and you're never, you know, it's not going to be replaced, but that was a building block of who you are. My my wife witnessed me crying the day uh, Bill Paxton died. And it was like, oh, oh wow. No, it's uh, that one. That my that one made my husband cry. Oh, yeah. I miss him so bad. I couldn't believe it. And I've I never I you know since since I've been doing interviews and been a writer you know since 1990. Seven, I've been extremely, you know, professional meeting people like Rob Zombie or Guillermo del Toro or, you know, Mila Jovovich or any of these people I grew up idolizing. And Bill Paxton, probably the only person I, you know, I did get to meet and I turned, you know, it was only a couple years ago and I turned into a babbling freaking moron. I was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you witnessed my, uh, I think my hands were shaking, right? Yeah, you, I think you, yeah, I think we plied you with a couple of drinks beforehand. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to run, I ran into him and he was so nice. And I had at the time a... A, a reanimator phone cover of Jeffrey Combs with the head. And uh, when the person took the picture of me with him, they held up my camera, phone, you know, my phone, and, and, and Bill Paxton goes, oh, that's Jeffrey. And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, you, oh, that's so, I, I was like, oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> it just made me happy. And, but, yeah, it's, you're allowed to feel like that, and that's one thing that I always want to make sure people know. You don't feel embarrassed about it. Don't feel bad about it. Um, being sad about losing your hero, because I, I saw that picture of you with Bill Paxton, and oh. I was like enraptured. I was like, look at that. <laughs> he just walked by <laughs> me. So awesome. He walked by me, and, and I'm just like, oh my god, I gotta go for it. <laughs> And I have to tell you guys that, um, mm. don't make me cry, Rob. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't make me cry, Robert. <laughs> oh, no, y'all go ahead. Ah, uh, 
Don't don't make me cry. I, I've I've managed to hold on. I've usually ball in these episodes, and I'm not doing it. The last one that really we we recorded, and I I had a hard time. And it seems like we're I'm doing t- every time I do one of these. It seems like it's we're doing too many. Um, was was Leonard Nimoy, and that one was rough for me personally. And it's really? oh man, that was a rough episode and rough all around because you realize just how much like with Toby Hooper to kind of make this go for a circle you realize how much they've done and all the things that they've touched upon and influenced and you don't because you don't realize it until you go back and you look and then you go my god they did that they did that and then you find out all the other things too, like the charity work that he did, and 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 stuff, and it just it just nails you, and, and you realize they're gone. Well, this is hard because he was so wonderful to me. Was Ron Glass? Oh yeah, I love your picture with him. Um. That hit me hard. Well, it was so... That one was unexpected. Like, I, it just surprised me. And the... Uh, because he was so nice to meet. And it just... Man. You know, everybody goes, Barney Miller, Barney Miller. You know, but Firefly? Oh, he was booked. In Serenity. Yeah. And when I found out he died, I, I mean, I bawled. I mean, I just, because he was such a nice person to meet. Well, but uh, you got to meet him. And you have that. You you got to do that, and that's something that's special. And, and I got the picture. And you've got the picture. And, and I've got the autograph. He autographed um, two things of mine that I had to him autograph. So that was good. It, well, and his character in Firefly was such a an awesome one. And 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 he created such an iconic character in just a few episodes because that's all they had, and everybody loved Book. He was he was a great. Uh, he, we never got to find out all this all the truth about Book, which would have been neat to see. But it's they didn't get to do all the flashbacks like they should have been able to. I, yeah, I would have loved to have seen him kicking ass and taking names because you know we did. You know he did, but that's the thing with fandom. Now and the comic books. Now you got to see a, a yeah. little bit more of a book, but yeah, we thank you, Fox. Thanks. <laughs> Not bitter at all about it, but well, guys, um, I I want to say thank you again. This has been great, and this is this is the thing about this is the fandom. Thing about- is is it influences it, your life and and it helps you find friends it helps you 
become, you know, who you are. And when we lose the, lose the, some of those building blocks like that, we won't ever lose them completely, but it still hurts when they're gone. And um, I want to thank you guys for yeah. being here and talking about it and giving us some insight into Toby Hooper and some of the, and the things that he gave us, which we'll, we will always have, which is nice. We will always have the work. So um, once again, Nathan, thank you so much. Thank you. And Robert, thank you again. You're welcome. It is always a pleasure to have you call in and, and join us on these. And uh, Eric, thank you again, even though you've been fairly quiet, and I think you might have died while we were on the phone. <laughs> no, no, I just like I like to let the guests uh, <laughs> fill up the airtime and get their say. <laughs> well, guys, thank you again. We're going to try and do these once every week, um, if time permitting and schedules and life, but we are going to try and do this once a week ever again. And um, hopefully you guys will enjoy it and listen to us. And, and with that, this is fangirl radio signing off.